there years ago that wrote, Jesus led me all the way, led me step by step each day. And we can look back on our lives from the day that we trusted Him as our Savior and see God's hand leading. And then we, with sometimes sorrow and regret, look at the times in our life where we went astray and we didn't follow His leading. But He was faithful, wasn't He? And He continues to lead. And not only has He led us in the path, the past, but I'm thankful that He continues to lead us day by day. And I'm looking forward to the day when He finally leads me home. And uh, I, uh, I was talking to a pastor this week that is having to make a difficult decision, needing a surgery, but yet uh, could probably cost him his life on the, on the table if he goes into it, and just a very difficult decision to make. And, uh, and you know, the thought is, we're, none of us are afraid to die. We're looking forward to heaven. But there's still a work to be done here, and there's a desire to stay and do some things for the Lord and to work and to serve. And uh, It's a difficult decision. Paul, Paul faced it. We shared in Sunday school this morning a little bit about that. This, Paul said, I have a desire to depart, but he said, it's more needful for you that I remain. And I think, I think we ought to all feel that way, looking forward to heaven, but knowing that there's a great work to be done here, being involved here while we're waiting. And I'm looking forward to the trumpet. Uh, somebody said years ago, I'm no, not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the uppertaker, so I'd like to go in the rapture. But uh, if it is through death, uh, God's grace will be sufficient. And uh, we look forward to that day. Could you imagine going to sleep and waking up and there's the face of our Savior? We're looking right into it. and Be able to throw ourselves into His arms and to worship Him and to spend time loving Him. and just Boy, i got a million questions to ask Him. And I don't know if I'll know Him immediately when I get to heaven or if those are things we get to just learn at His feet. But, uh, boy, what, a, what an amazing day that's going to be. And looking forward to it. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. There's a song, a hymn that we sing oftentimes, What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Since Jesus came into my heart, I have light in my soul, for which long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. And uh, I'll tell you, I hope that we remember often the day that we got saved. And that we reflect on the difference, the change that the Lord Jesus Christ made in us on that day. And some it was more noticeable than others perhaps, but God made a change in every one of us. And uh, there's been a joy there. There's been something different inside ever since that day. And uh, there have certainly been a lot of tears in life. Uh, life is difficult sometimes. And I was talking to my kids this past week. And, uh, you know, we talk oftentimes about the fall of man and how, especially if we're out here working and it's hard work, and uh, we're like, oh, why did Adam have to sin, you know? And uh, God didn't make man work because of sin. Work was already in existence. He put Adam in the garden to bless it and to keep it before he ever sinned. But we have to work by the sweat of our brow now <laughs> because of sin. And uh, I'll tell you, I, there's, there's a lot of things that uh, this world brings grief to our hearts in. But when we're saved, we have the joy of the Lord through all of it. Uh, the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So it gets us through the trying times, the difficult times. And uh, we're living in some very trying days. We really are. Uh, a lot of Christians, uh, I've had a number of folks in the recent months or so uh, ask me questions. You know, Pastor, what about this? What about that? And uh, things regarding the world and situations in the world and all that's going on. And um, the, the continuous perversion and wickedness of the world as it spirals so rapidly at this point in, the, in history. Uh, there was a book written years ago by a fella, and uh, the title of it was Rushing Toward Gomorrah. And a uh, great book. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's a great read. But he talks about, and I've shared with you before, about defining deviance down. And uh, how that oftentimes the generation after uh, will center their morals at the very edge of what is right or wrong or deviant or not deviant. And that becomes their center. And then the generation following them will center their morals at the very edge of what is deviant. And before you get two or three generations down, 
you finally have people who even their most moral inclinations are deviant to four generations ago. Uh, what, a, what a tremendous principle, and we certainly see that in the day we live. And the sad thing is, we don't just see it happening at a constant rate of decline or spiraling down, but we're seeing it accelerate. In recent days and years, we've seen it exponentially accelerate to where literally in a matter of months, things can change drastically in our society. And everyone get in an uproar over something that used to be considered wrong that now people are saying, oh, that's right. And if you think it's wrong, then you're the one that's wrong. We spoke a little bit about that last Sunday in the afternoon service where God says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We're living in those days. And I have been amazed over my lifetime. I'm be 52 years old this October. And I, I, it seems like yesterday I was a teenager and uh, things were so different then, so different than they are today. Some of you have lived longer than me and you can relate to even more of a difference that's taken place in your lifetime. The moral difference of our country and people. And I know there were kids that were mischievous and got in trouble, but it seemed like the moral decay has been so much more prominent in these recent years. And uh, as God's people... Uh, we've got to we've got to do something about it. And uh, last week we talked about some things that we can do. And today I, I want to share a few things about uh, more applicable to what we need to do in our own lives with response to this. And I want us to take a look at some of this, if you will, in First Corinthians chapter number six. And uh, let's look in verse number nine. Paul is writing here, and he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? <coughs> Be not deceived, <coughs> neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice verse number 11. Paul says, And such were. Aren't you glad that's the case? And such were some of you. I'm glad I'm not those things anymore. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Father, we pray that you'll take the message this morning and Lord, we need You. We desperately need You. In the day that we live, there is such a need for us to be awakened, to have our eyes opened to the truth of Your Word and to, to diligently pursue after it. To, to even look into our own lives with, with great, great uh, scrutiny and with, with uh, an honest pair of eyes and transparency even to our own selves. And Father, I pray that through Your Word, You will guide us. And the day that we live, that we will see some Christians that will rise up and have a standard of righteousness and holiness in their life. To be an example of those that are in this world that do not have a moral absolute. They can look to somebody and say there's somebody who's anchored in their morals and they know their truth. Father, help guide us and direct us in our lives that we can pull our generation and this world back to You. That we can once again raise the standard of Your Word unapologetically and boldly. That we would not shy away or hide it behind the, the argument that we don't want to be offensive, but that we would boldly proclaim it and wave it the standard high. That we would make sure that we lift You up and let the world see the moral standard of a holy God. May we help to draw people's hearts and minds back to it. Most importantly, may it be ours first. And then, Father, may we draw others. I pray that You would help us to have the strength of character and the boldness to do such, that we would come to Your Word looking for the things that need to change in our life that cause us to be more of what we ought to be for You. And guide and direct us today, we pray, that Your Holy Spirit will work in hearts, do a work that we cannot do. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. As we get to this passage, Paul makes a statement here as we get to the end of verse number 9. 
and begin to verse number 10, he says, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor sorcerers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he gives a list here. And can I tell you that this is not an exhaustive list. He's not saying that these are the only ones. He's trying to give an example of those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. The truth of the matter is, if we look at the, the sinful condition of man and the fall of man and our, our sinful nature that we have, every man that's ever been born of a woman would fall into the categories of these things that he has mentioned here. If that was the case, then there would not be any of us that would be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven because he calls them the unrighteous. But there's something that is unique about verse number 11 that I love. And that is this, and the Bible says, And such were some of you. But ye, those of us that used to be those things, that could not inherit the kingdom of God because of it, those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior have been, look what it says here, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. (laughs) Boy, what a great truth. Isn't it wonderful that when we knelt at Calvary and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself, and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in your payment for my sin. What you did on Calvary, your death, your burial, your resurrection, I'm going to trust that as the payment for my sin. And I'm going to cling to that as my only hope of eternity and having a home in heaven for all of eternity. The moment we did that, the Bible says that He washed us. He used the blood of His own Son to wash us clean. The idea says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be crimson, they shall be white as snow. There is something that God did the day that we got saved, and that is He washed us and made us clean. The Bible uses the word justified. Meaning that in God's eyes, it's as if I had never even sinned to begin with. He looks at me and He sees a clean slate. And by the way, He does the same with you. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, He looks at your life and He doesn't see a spotted sinner. He sees a white, pure white innocence there of His own Son because He was applying His blood to wash us clean. The Bible says, And such were some of you, but you're washed. And I want you to notice this. Not only are we washed, but He tells them this. But you are sanctified. There is a process of sanctification that takes place. I believe when we get saved, spiritually speaking, there's an instant sanctification in the eyes of God. But there is, I believe, also a continuing sanctifying in our lives. Of trying to purge more and more of the world out of our lives. And to draw closer and closer to the Spirit of God and His will in our lives. And he says, not only were we washed, but we are sanctified. And notice he says this, we are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The minute we get saved, we're washed, we're sanctified, and we are justified. We are made to look just like we've never sinned. We are not only set apart from our sin, but we are set apart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And over and over again, you'll find Paul's teaching, being that in the New Testament times that we live in today, our responsibility is that we walk in the Spirit. We follow the Spirit as we're led by Him through the Word of God. We understand and know God's heart and God's standard, His moral law given to us in Scripture. And then the Holy Spirit of God continues to work inside of us and to bring about what we call a conscience, And by the way, aren't we glad and thankful for our conscience? It's not always a pleasant thing, but I am thankful that it's there because it is a much needed thing. There's a possibility that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter number 1 of getting to a place where we would be given over or those that would continue to neglect that conscience to be given over to a reprobate mind where the Holy Spirit of God no longer deals with them. I want you to notice something here about this idea of such were some of you. There was a difference. There was a change that took place the day we got saved. God's intent was not for us to simply get a a ticket for heaven and to go store it in our spiritual safe somewhere until the time for its use came to pass. But God intends for us to now live a life that reflects 
the change that He's done in our lives. We're living in a society today, and I mentioned this last Sunday, that we, we have for far too long remained a, a silent Christian movement. And you say, well, there's been some people speak up here and there, and maybe so. But in comparison to what the world has done, we have been very silent. We have actually, in our silence, been guilty of enabling, and even though our hearts may not be such, we have even condoned by our silence this decline that's going on so rapidly in the world that we live. I'm afraid for my children. I don't know what this world's going to be like in another 10 or 15 or 20 years when they're in their young adult years and the world that they're going to have to face. Uh, if you will, take your Bibles. We're going to look at several passages today. And I want us to see what God's mind and God's heart is on this issue. Uh, because I can stand up here and give you my opinion all day long, and that's all it is. But if I can stand up here and show you what God says about it, now there's something behind it. There's some substance there. There's an authority. There's a foundation that that truth stands on that cannot be refuted. We can't, we can't justify it. We can't, we can't apply situational ethics or circumstances to it. It's a truth that is a moral truth of God that is established forever. And I want us to look at several of these things as we go to Romans chapter number 5. And let's look, we'll begin in verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Now, we understand the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And because of the fall of man, we inherited a sinful nature. And that's what is spoken of here in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. There's not a single one of us that hasn't sinned. And <coughs> I've said this before. We are not sinners because we sinned. But we sin because we are born sinners. Our nature, our inclination is to be that of a sinner. We are already condemned in our trespasses and sins. When we get to an age of understanding and knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, and we can distinguish between the two, then there is a guiltiness that is placed upon us already, simply because we have been born into this sinful condition. And God did not come to condemn us. God came to help us escape that condemnation. And that's what salvation is all about. That's why salvation is a wonderful story, not, a, not an offensive story. People ought not be offended when we come and share the gospel with them. That ought to be the greatest thing they've ever heard. They were, they were already condemned. They're already on their way to hell. And they didn't even know it. And God comes along and says, I want to help them. I want to keep them from this. That's what is spoken of here as we get to verse number 12. Now look in verse number 13. Paul says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, <coughs> even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So even though sin came because of one man, so is the gift of grace given by one man, given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And not as it was, verse number 16, by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. In other words, there was one sin, and there was a lot of penalty for it. Everybody was condemned for it. But there was one payment made in justification for many, many sins, and it covers them all. Verse number 17, I want you to notice this. For if by one man's offense death reigned. Notice that word. Did we see it? Let's read it again. We'll put the emphasis on it this time. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Death used to have a hold on us, didn't it? That old sinful nature used to reign in our mortal bodies. It used to have control. It used to be the thing that, that ruled us. You know, you know, before we got saved, you know what, helped, you know what uh, made our decisions for us? Our lust. The desires of our heart. The desires of our flesh caused us to make our decisions. We, we never considered what was right or wrong. We considered what's going to be best for me. What's in it for me? By the way, we're living in a world that is ruled and reigned by sin today. 
in the most part, those that are lost are the vast majority around us, and they're making decisions not based on what's best for what is right or wrong, but what is best for them. And even those that seem kind-hearted and generous, and many of these folks that are very wealthy and philanthropists and give all these things away, the truth is, even then, there's some self-greed in there, that they feel better about themselves, that they can receive the accolades and they can receive the recognition for what they do. Sin reigned in our bodies. Every decision we made, everything we did in our lives, every action we performed was the result of our lust and our desire and our will. And it was a sinful one. Therefore, notice verse number 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And I love this statement, but where sin abounded, notice this, grace did what? Much more abound. Boy, aren't we glad of that one. I'm going to tell you what, because even though I'm saved, I still live in this world. And that old flesh nature still fights us, doesn't it? The sad thing is, we're living in a day where as God's people, those that have trusted Him as Savior, are okay with the flesh having some control in our life. This is the problem in the day that we're living in. This is the problem that we've come to. It's not what should be, but it is what we have come to. We've allowed this, this, this flesh, this, this lust in our will and the desire that we have still to make our own decisions... We've allowed that to continue to reign in our day-to-day lives, and we're okay with it. The message today is, these things ought not so to be. According to the Bible, there ought to be something different. Notice what it says here in verse number uh, 20. Uh, It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace... What's the next word here? What is it? Might grace reign. Here's the problem. We've gotten the free gift of grace by the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have never broken the reign of the flesh. And we allow it to continue to rule our lives day in and day out. And thus we're living in the world we're living in today. Where even God's people are silent to the wicked and abomination that's going on around us. Where we are afraid to take God's Word and say, this is what God's Word says about it. We've been ridiculed. People that have tried to do this, the very few that have stood and tried to say, this is what God's Word says, have been ridiculed. And people have said, well, look at all the vastness of people who say they're Christians. They don't say those things. Y'all are just nuts. When the truth of the matter is, every Christian that names the name of Christ ought to be standing for those things. Every person that has been saved and blood-bought and washed and cleansed and sanctified and justified ought to come to a holy God and a holy Word and say, I want to have a life that is as close as it can possibly be to the standard of an almighty holy God. And I want to make sure that I am an example to the world. Sadly, sadly, we have taken the world's things, and we have longed for them, and we have desired them, and we've even been deceived into thinking that if I do that, they'll respect what I say about God. No, they won't. When we live like the world and expect them to have respect for the things of the Lord that we speak about, what we tell them is, there is no difference between us and you. Why should they seek God then? There is no difference. Oh, that we would learn this. God sanctified us. God set us apart. God has a special purpose. He he washed us. He justified us. And He set us apart to do something very, very special in this world. He gave us His truth. And the Bible tells us that the church, the New Testament church, the local church, is the pillar and the ground upon truth, what, what truth rests. 
And if this truth falls, it's because we as God's people have allowed it to be deteriorated in the eyes of others. We are vastly failing the raising of the standard of God's Word. We are vastly failing in taking the banner of the cross and lifting it high and saying, this is what God has to say about it. We're facing situations in our government today that ought not even be a discussion. If we're a Christian nation, and yet there are people that sit in the halls, the halls of our governmental institutions that say, I am a Christian. I love Jesus. And then they go and do the most ungodly and abominable things. Why is that? We can say it's because we have not done enough openly and publicly. I'm going to submit to us this morning, we have not done enough privately. Because before we can ever be effective publicly, there must be an interchange. What is it about this thing that we understand of sanctification? Is it just so I can affect other people? Is it just so I can be an example to others? No. It's so that I can be glorifying to God. I will never be what I should be outwardly unless I am what I should be inwardly. Let's look at some things here if we get into chapter number 6. I'm thankful that, that Paul brought out the, the idea that we're sin-abounded, grace did much more abound. And by the way, that's what most Christians cling to. That's the truth they like to, that's the one they like to quote. We're sin-abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm, I, all things are lawful for me. And I, you know, I'm saved, I'm secure, and I'm eternally secure. And you know how I live now is not going to affect whether I go to heaven or hell. No, it may not, but it may affect how someone else, whether someone else is going to go to heaven or hell or not. If that's the case, then I better make sure that I am a sanctified, a vessel of honor fit for the Master's use. I better make sure that I am someone that is cleansed and someone that has a desire and a love for the holiness of God. By the way, you get very many preachers start preaching this in our churches and our pews will be empty. Because men love darkness rather than light. They don't like to talk about holiness. I'll be honest with you, it's against our flesh nature. We don't like to hear that we need to live holy. We don't like to live uh, hear that we need to have uh, morals and standards that are that are above reproach, that that reflect the holiness of the God that we worship. My standards ought not to just be different from the world. They ought to be something that when men see them, it reminds them of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how high should my standards be? Whatever it takes to get people to see Him through them, that's what it should be. That's what it should be. What about my integrity? My, my little white lies that I tell to keep from having to, to, to be penalized in my life or in circumstances. What about my integrity? What about my character? We all have things that, that from time to time hold us up. There used to be a day when even unsaved men, if they gave you their word and shook hands on it, you could rest assured it was going to happen. Now we have Christians that don't even do that. There used to be a day that when society began to, to waver and to go down a road that was against the moral precept of God's Word, Christian folks would stand up and say, wait, whoa, hang on a minute. Not in our lifetime. It needs to come back to what God says is right. And even unsaved people would at least recognize and have respect to a holy moral law. But we have so undermined the authority of God's Word, maybe not so much by our words, although often that's the case, but by our lives, we undermine the authority of God's Word. How do we take this book and hold it up to someone who does not know and say this is the authority, this is God's unadulterated, inerrant Word, this is the thing that you can take and rest assured that if it says it, it's true. How can we ever do that if our life does not reflect its authority in our own lives? You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Greg? Well, 
If I get up and I tell somebody that there is an absolute moral law that God gives, and it's found in His Word, and then I don't live by His Word, then I've just told the folks I don't believe it. Have I not? Let's see what it says here as we get to Romans chapter number 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's answer is this, God forbid. How shall we that are, notice this phrase, that are what? Dead to sin, live any longer there. Now, now follow me for a minute. Look right up here a second. Before we were saved, sin reigned. That's the word that was used. It reigned. It had the rule over us. And our decisions, our actions, our life were all dictated by the things of the flesh, by the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. The Bible speaks of those three things. And those reigned in us. They had control of us. But when we got saved, we were not to be under the reign of sin anymore. We were now to be under the reign of grace. It was supposed to do its work in our life. And what happened then to the flesh? Notice what he says here in verse number 2. God forbid. How shall we that are what? Dead to sin. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Can I tell you this? There needs to be among God's people a death to self once again. We don't like to do that. I don't know about you, but I kind of like myself. Don't you? I kind of like the things I like. If I didn't like them, I wouldn't like them. You say, boy, that's pretty profound, Pastor. That's the part of me that I've got to crucify. The psalmist said it this way, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. And he was saying the same thing. He was saying, I wish I could take the things I desire and crucify them and make the things that I desire the things that God desires. And you say, well, we're living in a world where we're reaping the results And there are some things we could do publicly, and there are some things that we could do in our churches and get God's power resting upon us again and making a difference in the world. But it's got to begin in here. I've got to come to a place where I say, I need to change morally. I need to come to God's Word. I need to see what His moral law is and then be obedient to it. I need to crucify the flesh. And I need to follow after the Spirit. He goes on to say in verse number 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. That means the old life? No, don't walk there anymore. And such were some of you. You're not now. You've been bought with a price. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. We're to live like it. I get so tired of hearing God's people say, Pastor, I know I'm not living the way I should, but I'm so glad God knows my heart. Then live the way you should. You say, am I going to succeed at it? Pastor, you don't succeed at it every time. I'll be the first one to tell you I don't. But it's the desire of my heart. It needs to be the desire of our hearts. And when we don't do it, it really ought to mortify us. It really ought to bring great sorrow upon our hearts when we don't live the way that we should. We call that the convicting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Or some people today call it, that offended me. (laughs) And because of that, we don't respond appropriately because it's all about me. Let's see what else he says here. As we move down, we're going to skip for sake of time to verse number 7. Let's go to verse number 6. I think it will be a good place. I I wish I had time to go through every verse, but we'll look at a few here. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man... That's, that's, that's the flesh. Our old man is what? Crucified with him. That the body of sin might be what? Destroyed. Not coddled. Not reigning. Not given preeminence in my life. It's to be what? 
that's to be destroyed. Why are we living day by day giving sin reign in our life? Why am I letting the lust of my flesh and the lust of my eyes and the pride of my life, why am I letting that have control? That's supposed to be crucified. That's supposed to be dead. He goes on to say this, that this body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not what? Serve sin. You know when somebody reigns over someone, that means they have them in subjection. And if sin reigned over us, it had us in subjection. We were servants to it. He goes on to tell us about this. Let's look and see what he says. For he that is dead is what? Freed from sin. We are no longer under its bondage. He told the Corinthian church, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's a, dead, there's a deadness, a crucifying to self and sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also that we shall also what? Live with Him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto who? God. We die to sin, we live unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what took place when you got saved. Or should have. Let not sin, verse number 12, therefore what? Reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. The idea of reigning has us in subjection. We are obedient to it as a master and a servant. Let, it, let sin no more reign in our mortal bodies, that we should obey it in the lusts thereof. That's what the old man is. That's what the old nature is. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Are we finding this, this, this principle here? Are we, are we understanding the, the battle that takes place daily? Are we understanding that the moment we got saved, the old man should have been crucified, the Spirit was made alive, we're to follow after Him, and to let it reign over us, us to be subjective to it, us to be obedient to it, and not to sin. The sad thing is, we're living in a day where our society has lulled us into such complacency that even as God's people, we go back and we say, I sure miss my old king, sin. I sure wish I could let him reign for a little bit. I, I you know, I, I'm kind of, I kind of miss some of those old times. And then the world looks at us and says, "They say they're Christians. There's nothing different. They're being reigned by the same piece, uh, same thing that I'm being reigned by. They're being controlled by the same thing I'm being controlled by. There's no difference in them." There's no God that's preeminent in their life. Sin is preeminent in their life. They're no different than me. And our world continues to rush toward Gomorrah. Our world continues to spiral out of control. Look with me in Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. In verse number 20, a very familiar passage, one that many people can quote. And the sad thing is, here's the problem a lot of times in our lives. We can quote it, but we can't apply it. Let me rephrase that. We can quote it, but we choose not to apply it. Galatians chapter 2, let's look in verse number 20. Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now, which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You say, Pastor, how in the world do I crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit and allow Him to reign over me? There's got to be, notice in verse number 20, he says this, The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way we're going to do it is by putting our absolute dependence on God directing our steps every moment of every day. That means that when I get up in the morning, I don't want to live my life based on what I think is best. I want to live my life based on what God's Word has instructed me to do. What His Holy Spirit has continued to work in my heart on. Look with me in Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. I wasn't going to use this passage for the message, but it certainly will be fitting here. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number uh, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, that's the old flesh nature. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do I do it? Notice this. Verse number 2, he gives us the answer. Looking unto who? Jesus. The author, he's the one that started our faith, and what? Finisher of our faith. If he's the one that saved me, he's also going to have to be the one that by faith daily I look to, saying, God, I cannot live this way. My flesh wants to go this way. I must have you not only for my salvation, but to live a sanctified life today. I must have you. I don't want you to just begin a good work in me. I want you to perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to perform it till the day I'm called to heaven. God, I want you to do a work in me, not just the day I got saved, but every moment of every day. I want my faith to cling to you as the only way I'm ever going to live the way I should. Because I'll be real frank with you. That flesh nature is pretty sly. It's pretty strong. And if we are not depending upon something greater than us, we are destined to go right back to it. Did God save me? Yes, He did. Did He wash me right as snow? Yes, He did. Did He justify me? Yes, He did. But He also sanctifies me. That means day by day He's doing a work to cleanse me, to purify me, to draw me into more of His image. And it has to come by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's the only way I'm going to make it. I want to give a couple practical things. I know it's 12 o'clock. Bear with me. That was all introduction, but the message is only about five minutes. Are you ready? Hang on to your seats. If you'll listen quick, we'll, we'll preach quick. All right? Number one. How am, I going to, how am I going to crucify the flesh and live a holy life? By saturating my life with His Word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I what? Hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. How do I get victory over the flesh? How do I crucify the flesh? What did, what did Paul mean when he said crucify the flesh? Read God's word. It will deliver us from the flesh. Look with me, if you will, in First John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and to what? Cleanse us from most, some, a lot of. To cleanse us from what? All. Unrighteousness. We need to read God's Word and saturate our lives with it. You say, Pastor, I, I try. I try to get victory over sin. We may not be depending upon Him daily to help us. We may not be saturating our lives with His Word. Thirdly, there needs to be an agreement, an understanding of sin and its sinfulness, and a confession of it to God. That's hard to do. Do any of us like to be wrong? Those of you that are married, any of you love to go to your spouse and say, I was rup, 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 not as right as I would have hoped? <laughs> we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. And one of the hardest things our flesh has to be crucified to be able to do is to say, God, I was wrong. 
The confession of our sin doesn't make us any more saved. What it does is it allows the grace and the Holy Spirit to reign in our lives. And it allows the flesh to be crucified. It restores that relationship, that walk with God. There needs to be an absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ to help us daily, moment by moment, to live godly, to live rightly in this present world. There's got to be a saturation of God's Word in our lives. I mean a saturation of it. You know, somebody said, and I don't, I've never tried it, but I have been told that if you read the Word of God at a standard rate of speaking, that it can be read in 72 hours. That's not very long. And yet we've got people been saved decades and never one time read its entirety. And then we wonder why sin reigns in our mortal bodies. Why are we in the situation we're in? Why is our society the way that it is? We need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to saturate ourselves with God's Word. We need to be willing to admit we're wrong and confess our sin. And that takes a spirit of humbleness and brokenness and a crucified flesh to do that. I would say this. We need to have a desire for the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our hearts. When I was growing up, I was a teenager, uh, and I got to where uh, I wanted to, uh, there were a couple girls I thought were cute, and I thought, well, I want to date. And I knew that every time I dated somebody, it was potentially somebody I could get married to. And I, uh, I began to, to uh, every once in a while, go out with a couple of girls, and you know, we always went in a group and uh, just enjoyed the company and friendship and, and just see what would develop. And one thing that I started from the onset is the fact that I knew my parents were a lot wiser in things of the world than I was. And while I didn't have them tell me who to date, I did say and I, to myself, and I never told them this, but they had absolute veto power. I was willing to say, if mom and dad didn't think they were the right person, to say, I'm sorry, you're not the right person, I'll go find somebody else. And I gave them willingly that role in my life. Can I tell you this, that that takes an awful lot of trust and faith in the person that you give that ability to? Can I tell you that in our life, not only should we give veto power, but we should also give the power to tell us what to do to the Holy Spirit of God? Why? Because we trust Him who is far wiser and knows far more about my life than I do. I can trust Him to lead my way. And so when I pray, I ask the Lord, help my heart to be sensitive to the leading of Your Holy Spirit. Those are not just words said in a prayer. Those are things that my heart yearns for. and ought to be the thing your heart yearns for. Why? Because I don't want to be reigned by my sin. I want to be reigned by the Holy Spirit of God. I want Him to have the throne of my heart. I want Him to lead me in the way I ought to live. Don't allow sinful thoughts. I wish I could develop each of these, but I promised you a short message. Don't linger on sinful thoughts. Don't allow them into your mind. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, all of these things are the things we ought to be thinking on, not things that are wicked and ungodly. And, un... and I, you know, I was sharing with a young person, a teenager this week, and talking to them about life decisions they were going to be making in the very near future. And I said, you know, no matter how strong your faith is, if you continue to put yourself in a place, in an environment where the world bombards you day in and day out, it will take a toll and it will affect you. So know Satan's tactics. Be aware of them. Be watchful for them. The Bible tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh to and fro, seeking whom he may not harm, not hurt, not inconvenience, but seeking whom he may devour. 
as God's people, how do I crucify the flesh? Open your eyes and be aware of what Satan is doing. Ask the Lord to help you see it. Be careful of the people and the places that you associate with and that you visit. They do make an impact on you. Well, I go to this place of entertainment. It's a lot of fun, Pastor. It's just a lot of fun. It's just fun. It's not going to hurt anything. Yes, it will. It will and it can. And then be open to God. I never cease to be amazed. I never cease to be amazed. How often we try to hide what's in here from God. You ever notice that? We try to we try to just not. Oh, I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm just. I'll do it. Nobody will know. We try to hide it from God. Be transparent with God. If you have a weakness, if you have a, a something that you just can't get victory over, come to God. He understands and tell Him, God, I'm struggling in this area. I've got a weakness. It's a, I've got to have Your help. He already knows anyway. And if you ever get to that point, then you can allow Him to have His will. He can be reigning in your life. You can be submitted to Him now. You can be obedient to what He says now. We're living in some very troubling days. Very troubling days. But our society and our world will never be what it should be until we are what we should be. And there needs to be a group of God's people that will come back to the Word of God and say, I don't want to just get my ticket to heaven and trust Christ for my salvation, but I want to live a life that is exemplary. I want to be, I want to be the, the flag bearer for the truth. I want to be the fellow that's out front waving the Bible. I want to be the one that's out there proclaiming as the, as the armies of God come behind. I want to be the one right out there in the front saying, I want you all to hear what th- this truth is all about. There's a God in heaven, and He's got a moral law that helps man to live the most fulfilled and joyful life. He's got, a, he's got a, a love for each of these people to save them and to justify them and to wash them white as snow. To raise the standard high and to boldly teach once again the holiness of our God. We don't have to do it in an angry way. We don't have to do it in a mean-spirited way, but we must do it in a bold way. And we must do it in a very transparent way. When it comes to our life, are we just kind of on spiritual cruise control? Or are we willing to crucify the flesh and yield ourselves as instruments that God can use to let Him have the reign in our mortal bodies? The question today is not what can we do politically, what can we do socially, but the question is today what can we do personally to change things in this world. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, we have for far too long grown very, very cold, very indifferent, lukewarm at best, and many asleep. I pray that you would awaken us in these days, these crucial days. May there be a fire set within our hearts. May there be a burning. May there be something that drives and pushes and motivates us. 